So we basically used time travel and Quicksilver, and that pretty much fixed everything. Wow. Well, if by fixed, you mean erased all of your previous adventures. Erased? Logan, what is he talking about? Mm, timey, wimey, I don't know. I don't remember anything. Who are you people? Welcome everybody to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Heck yeah! I'm your host David Luzader, and with me, as always, is Nick Sharemooksness. Wonderful! Welcome to the show, Nick. Welcome to the show, David. And welcome to the show, loyal listeners. We are we are so glad that you tune in every week to hear us ramble for like five minutes in the beginning about absolutely nothing before we get on topic. Ramble, rant, and rage. Well, there's probably going to be some of that at the end of this show. And occasionally calm discourse, but it doesn't start with an R, so we can't really bring it up. What? Uh, yeah, there could be some raging near the end. Yeah, because I'm going to bring up Days of Future Past again. <laughs> really? Are you? Are you recommending it? Is that your recommendation this week, no. David? No, you're going to have to wait because I do have a recommendation. Uh, if it has anything to do with X-Men Days of Future Past, I'm well, quitting the might, show. It might now. And where, where would you go? Nowhere else will have you. <laughs> it's so true. We're your only family. I'm a black sheep in the podcast industry. Yeah, no one even knows who we slash you are. Especially me. Yeah. Uh, you're, um, you're an enigma even to yourself. I know. I don't even know who I am. It's It's a mystery. It's years and years of therapy have not been able to conclude who is Nick Shermooksness. No, but you know what it might conclude? Uh, what your thoughts on Chrononauts were? Well... Well, first, uh, important question on Chrononauts. Which cover did you pick up? Oh, I, just, I think I picked up the regular one. No. Which one did you pick up? Fiona Staples. Oh, I didn't... I, my shop, I don't think, even had, like, it out. They had a... My shop had, like, a few of them, not all of them, but I was, like... I like immediately recognized it as Fiona Staples and thought, why not? Well, cool with that. Uh, well, uh, first impression, Sean Murphy knocks it out of the park again. Mm -hmm. He's just, you know, he's a great artist. He has a great um, storytelling sense, he does. style, he's whatever you want to call it. Very dynamic feel to his art. Very, You know, like it really, every page, you know, every panel, you know, you 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 just... You're excited to see panel to panel to panel. Mm -hmm. good, um, good sense of action. Exactly. Um, you know, the, the the backgrounds are detailed without being overly rendered, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you, you get a lot of artists that, like, they're really good people, but, like, the backgrounds are just, there's nothing to them. And it, you kind of lose a sense of the world. I think for a book like this that involves traveling through time, having a strong sense of place and setting will be important oh, as you shift from one domain I mean, to the other. Absolutely. This needs to be a book of big set pieces. We need to know where we are by, you know, the buildings in the background and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, as far as the writing goes, uh, Mark, it's, this is definitely one, a first, uh, a Mark Millar first issue that I, it's one of the first ones I've enjoyed in a while, as far as like a first issue goes, this make me, that makes me want to kind of, dive into the rest of this, the, the miniseries. Mm -hmm. um, what it comes down to is that Millar always has a lot of clever ideas. I really like the uh, when they, they do the whole drone going into the Civil War and uh, recording the, the the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, just little like elements like that, you know, they, that 
you don't you know you've never really seen like that that's really cool mm -hmm. as far as like the characters i don't have a strong affinity for them yet like corbin quinn and dr riley uh, whatever riley's first name is uh danny riley uh, they they seem like the last people that would actually be the ones responsible for creating time travel capabilities. Well, I, but... so, so what I didn't, um, I'm I'm actually having trouble keeping in head keeping in my head uh, which one is which. Um, uh, Riley is blonde hair. Corbin is brown hair. Right. Um, so like the the, the dark haired guy is the one who like kind of comes up with it, but and they explain why uh, Riley goes with him, but it's very like it's it's sort of just a. Uh, you know why Ben Grimm went on the mission in, in Ultimate or uh, no, Johnny Storm or kind of thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like, oh yeah, he's my best friend. He gets yeah. to go do this really crazy. Well, mission no, they they explain it as I forget um, why he his specialty at MIT was making things smaller. So he took the 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 time travel equipment blueprints and essentially turned it into their suits. But that does not give you qualification to go on this mission anyway. I don't I don't think it gives Corbin qualifications to travel through time either. Um, so it's kind of one of those things where you, you have to stretch why these people, you know, the people that built the the, the first space shuttle, you know, aren't the ones that went on the space shuttle in the space. Mm -hmm. You know, Neil Armstrong didn't work on the nuts and bolts and, and scientific theory of the rocket ship. Yeah. Um, but he's the one that the pilot is. So that doesn't necessarily mean that the people in this case, like, there's no reason why someone who both worked on the project couldn't also pilot the project. But the way that these characters come off, they seem like the last people you expect to be in the top of their fields. You know, Riley is like this, you know, badass playboy. He's essentially Johnny Storm, mm -hmm. you know, with a with apparently a brain. And Corbin's kind of got this sort of like moody, you know, uh, sordid past where like his his work got away from him and and uh, and his, his relationship fell apart. See, that was uh, that was actually. Uh probably i would say one of the strongest parts of the book dialogue wise like mm -hmm. that like that segment when he's talking to his ex-wife on the phone was just really well done um in in a book that i thought had largely forgettable or uh, sometimes bad dialogue yeah uh, it, like, it anchored it a bit where mm -hmm. everything was just like look how cool this is look how cool this is look how cool this is. oh this character actually does make mistakes mm -hmm. and like the that gives a like a sense of reality, like oh, like we're you know we're the hot shots, and like our usual flaws are just that like we party too much. And this guy was like he worked too much, and and that cost him uh, love. Love, um, yeah. So it was. I, I definitely think I'll pick up the next issue. Um, it, it, yeah. I think I'm primarily picking it up for. Sean, uh, Sean Murphy's art at this point. Mark Millar does know how to help. Does know how to write a book that allows you to kind of breeze through it. Like I don't necessarily feel like there's a lot of like Easter egg details that I'm missing mm -hmm. in the book. I think it's going to be fairly straightforward. I'm sure there'll be some twists and turns, like all the things they're finding in the pyramids or whatever in the beginning. The mm -hmm. ruins is probably stuff that they left there um, on their their adventure through time. So. You know, because one of the things they mention in the book, you know, is, oh, these suits also allow us to bring things with us backwards and forwards in time. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, who else would have left, you know, this fighter jet in this Tunisian ruin or whatever? Um, but, it, it, I mean, it definitely wasn't bad. It's, you know, it's up there for me as far as Millar projects go with Jupiter's Legacy and Superior, not 
yeah, superior. Um, and that's basically it. Okay. No, no, no. That, that, I mean, that's a lot of good thoughts. That's, that's probably, that's largely in line how I viewed it as well. Uh, and, and this book reminds me, and it's just so odd because Millar like is a good writer, but he's also like a frat boy sometimes. And I thought like this book really showed it through where he, like there's some jokes in here where you could tell he thought was so funny and nobody's like going to tell him like, that's not funny. Like that's not as funny as you think it is. Um, like the scene uh, where, you know, there, uh, the one guy was like, we get back from the trip. The biggest uh, thing on the college, you'll be the biggest thing on the college lecture circuit. You'll be banging every co-ed from here to Timbuktu. And says, you realize you're being recorded. It's like obviously, and he points to the camera, and then it shows like a room full of nuns watching this, and it was like, oh, okay. I think you expected me to like bust out laughing at this point, but like I'm really kind of sick of this guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm already sick of of Dr. Riley. I, he's that he's someone in such a a huge position of influence, and he's a complete man child. And we know how you're you're feeling on man children. Yes, um, almost so, as strong as my feelings of X Men's Days of Future Past. So so. This is also about time travel. Hmm. Um, a, a couple, so a couple thoughts like like the thing you said about time travel. Yeah, it's a time travel story. It's really hard to do anything new. Doing that whole thing where like here's a satellite and we're broadcasting this out to everyone in the world. Like that was pretty cool. That's a pretty neat idea. Um, and also, this is a book where people are are uh, you know the characters are established and um, they're going on this really big adventure. But this, they, it could get to the end of it, and these guys just don't change, and they just come back being like the exact same, like hotshot jackasses they are. And I think that would kind of be a disappointment. Yeah, um, I mean, I I feel like there's not that I I think Quinn is much less of a jackass. Oh um, no, Quinn Quinn is definitely the the yeah, Riley's going to have to go through some kind of change. But also, I know this book is it's supposed to be somewhat of a comedy book. Mm -hmm. It's it's at least from what I was reading and from interviews and stuff that it's it's they, they kind of go on a romp through time. Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be those things where they make a bunch of mistakes and then they have to somehow fix them right before the end and impart some kind of uh, character wisdom on them. But, I mean... Which one of them do you think is going to be depicted as dying or, like, sacrificing himself at the end? Um, probably Riley. I would say Riley. See, it's funny because you say, like, as, as a comedy book... I wouldn't picture Sean Murphy as a guy for comedy. And I uh, think that's one of the things that uh, drew him to the project was okay, that's cool. Was a comedic element. He was he mentioned in interviews that he, the, his last couple of works from like Punk Rock Jesus uh, to The Wake have all been kind of dour, serious affairs, and he wanted mm -hmm. to kind of open up a bit and do something a bit more lighthearted. Cool. Well, very cool, and I mean, it, it's a big credit to this book to have it. Um, all the stuff when they're they're going through the portal to go time traveling is just like really awesome. Like when he gets uh, knocked off course and he's flying through the time stream, mm -hmm. um, that's and that's like that, that weird vortex that he's flying by. Like it's all really visually, this book is very rich. Yeah, um, and you know it's 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 sean murphy man when, when, when are you not going to have a good time with it uh, exactly exactly he puts a lot of effort into his work mm -hmm. and uh I, you know I'm, i am i am curious to see uh where things ultimately end up um i just hope that you know this kind of breaks the like the malar thing where usually i think his stories are pretty good uh up until the very end um, and i'm sure i've said that on here before 
and I'm hoping like I see I don't even really know like the the ending that I have in mind that I feel like we're gonna get is uh, they're gonna get back home Quinn's gonna like reunite with his wife and uh, Riley's gonna be like you know appearing in coca-cola ads and making like a ton of money he's like I'm the hero that went through time um, something very bad or or they're or, gonna change history. Uh, Quinn uh, Corbin whatever Corbin Quinn makes changes to his history that when he when he comes back he's with his wife hmm something like that I could see because that's an element that <clears throat> yes in the first issue it gives you a sense of that like he's a character with a history mm-hmm. with a with a past with mistakes and all of that but something where like if you're gonna bring it up like is it going to play you know how much of a role is this wife going or ex-wife gonna play uh, and then how relevant is she to the story? And one way to do that is that if if they're going to be... It's one thing, it's it's like a Michael Bay thing, like they, or it could just end up being like a Michael Bay thing. And if anything, I think Mark Millar is the Michael Bay of comics. Uh, um, I'd say that's fairly apt. I would say he's probably a better storyteller. He's a better storyteller than Michael Bay, but he's definitely the Michael Bay of, um, of comic books. Um, it could just be something where, yes, they're just romping through the Civil War and ancient Egypt and wherever, you know? Um, and it's just big action set pieces, and that's it. By having it, them zero in and be like, okay, on top of all these uh, big, you know, historical grand set pieces, we're also going to... Uh, Corbin's going to find it within him to, like, change his own history. Like, do something very personal on such a astronomic level. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think would be an interesting direction for the story to take, but that remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. This is a book that could have a lot of twists and turns, uh, but if they stay with it, with like you know, we're, we're telling a comedy romp through time. It seems like it'll be pretty straightforward. Bill and Ted's excellent adventure kind of thing, just guys going around having fun. Yeah, uh, and I, I think I know uh, some of Millar's last projects have been like four to five issues. I think books like this. You could tell a good story in four issues, I think, given how cinematic it is. Not necessarily to pad it out and, 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 and spread out the wealth, but I think it, it could use... In this case, this book could probably... will probably end up needing to use like an extra issue or two to kind of make the story feel more full. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like we could get to the end and then it's a rushed ending because they just ran out of page base. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but Chronos, so far, so good. Mm-hmm. I, I do agree with that. I uh, I would say, yeah, solid, solid opening act. Um, let's see, you mind if I talk about Moon Knight for a few minutes? Yeah, go ahead. So, I'm going to kind of flip through it as you talk about it. Yeah, so uh, Moon Knight, we are now seeing the uh, change in creative team after the departure of uh, Brian Wood. And Greg Smallwood. And Greg Smallwood. Um, and now we have Colin Bunn and Ron Atkins. Atkins, I don't know. Uh, Atkins. Atkins uh, on the book. And obviously, you know, big cre- new creative team. Uh, you're hoping for a new direction. Um, but this is a book, you know, that's been so, that was so popular in its first six issues. And, and I didn't really realize this. Um, a lot of people didn't like uh, issues like the second arc, seven through twelve. Oh yeah. A lot of people didn't like it. Um, you know, I think, and I, you know, I can see why after the first six issues were so 
monumental in the current age. Um, and then to have something come along that's like trying to do something different, but like keep in line with that. I, I can see where it'd be disappointing uh, for folks. I liked it for what it was. Uh, but anyway, with Colin Bunn coming on here, uh, I, I guess he has said that his goal is to uh, just do things very differently. And I guess he's he's used the word weird in his, uh, like intentionally weird in mm -hmm. his interviews to describe how he's kind of uh, tackling this stuff. Um, which I think, you know, it's, it's good uh, to come in here and to say, like, we just, we have to take this our own direction. Um, we have to do, you know, we have to do our own stuff rather than try to keep up this, you know, this thing that, that like that was so large, uh, kind of looming over our shoulders. Uh, and I would say that they actually do a pretty good job of that. Um, it, in this storyline, Moon Knight is trying to help a bunch of ghosts. And uh, apparently he lives in this hotel now out of nowhere and he doesn't want to help them uh except uh except that uh how do you pronounce the god's name Hanshu. 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 silent k silent k Hanshu. So, except like Hanshu appears and is like these like these are the members of my flock you're my priest you've got to help these guys out um so he goes and like does this whole you know does this whole thing of where he's going to help out this big group of ghosts so they can all move on and leave him alone um, and that's definitely different from what we've seen so far in this book, a book that's been, uh, while the character himself is <laughs> insane and not fully grounded in reality, um, the, the stuff he's been tackling has been. Mm -hmm. And so now well, this, this almost gets back closer to what Warren Ellis was doing where like, there was like the issue where he was wearing the, like the, the armor, like the ghost armor to fight those ghost punks. Um, I forgot about know. that issue. I gotta read that run again, man. Yeah, so Warren Ellis' run was definitely more weird. And he takes all those drugs. Bri Brian Brian uh, Woods' run was definitely more of like a political thriller. Mm -hmm. um, this, uh, at least as far as issue one, and I'm you know just a few pages kind of like loosely reading it as we talk about it, um, is getting back to more of the the weird elements. See, that's funny. I'm glad you reminded me of like the ghost punk stuff because I'd actually completely forgotten that. But, um, you know, the, uh, presumably Colin Bunn's on for six issues, and I think they already had mentioned that they have a, the next creative team lined up after Colin Bunn. Man, why why can't they just get some guys to stick around for a while? Well, I think that, that that's kind of what the book has become, is someone a, comes in with uh, six issues worth of Moon Knight stories and then calls it quits. See, that kind of makes it hard for me, because, like, I, I, you know, I want to just stay subbed to it. I want to just mm -hmm. keep picking it up. But what if a creative team comes on? I don't want to drop the... I mean, how much is this? It's a $4 book. I don't want to drop the... Uh, doing quick, like, you know, 25 plus extra, like, bucks. Uh, you know, on six issues that I'm not going to enjoy, just in hopes that the next one is going to be better. Yeah, well, I mean, at least with you, you can change your subscriptions online with no hassle. That's true. I, I had to go into my shop to change them. Well, and, 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 they, and, 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 and they still and, have know, books on there that I, I canceled a long time ago. And I'm saying this like it's such this is such a stupid first world problem to even be talking <laughs> about because he hands it to me. I'm not obliged to pick it up. Yeah, like I can be like, no, I don't want this. Yeah, uh, but but, and, and but, but, I, but I want cool, to be like, picking it up. You know, it, you know, Cullen Bunn is a writer that like I've enjoyed. I enjoyed the first uh, volume of his Six Gun series that he does through. I Oni, think it's Oni, Oni Press. Press. It's Oni. Yeah, I, I haven't read uh, much Sixth Gun, but I've heard great things. And, you know, that's good. It's a lot of his superhero work from both Marvel and DC, I've kind of been hit or miss on. 
Um, you know, so this is something where, you know, I was excited when Warren Ellis launched the book. Uh, I was excited when Brian Wood took over because I've more or less enjoyed, I think, everything that Brian Wood that I've read from Brian Wood. Read demo. Um, and then when Colin Bunn was announced, I was like, huh, this could be a Colin Bunn that I like or this could be a Colin Bunn I don't like. <laughs> I, I'm only a few pages in, so I really don't know for sure. Um, he's definitely a writer that it just depends on who he's paired with uh, and what the, the topic is. And I don't know how much it – presumably he's he, he's interested in, in this story. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so Marvel obviously picked him for a reason. You know, it, it uh, popularity-wise, it can be hard to. You know, we, well, yeah, you're, you're not want... you're not going to get big names every single time. It's like, all right, now that you know Brian Woods no longer on here, we've gotten uh, Neil Gaiman to come in. Right. Yeah, it's like you got to. You know, if you're going to. Oh be... man, do you know how awesome that would be? It would be super awesome. Neil Gaiman. Ga- Ga- I always say Gaiman, but I could be wrong. But anyway, like, uh, yeah. anyway, having Neil on on six issues of Moon Knight would be fantastic. It would be so good. I wonder if Marvel actually has reached out to him. About I don't I don't know. I don't. They should if they haven't. Marvel. Marvel reached out ahead. to Neil. Um. Yeah, no, it definitely is hard when you're you're going to be trading over creative teams that much to keep having that high caliber uh, level of of writers and artists. Like you're going to kind of have to occasionally like. Get the guy you know not everybody loves because he's available while you're waiting for this other guy to clear a schedule. Yeah, uh, and that's issues. true. I, I mean, and I would say that for every, you know, just because we like Warren Ellis and Brian Wood, there are plenty of people that probably don't like them. Mm-hmm. I would say there's well, probably a lot of people in the industry that anybody, would love to follow up a book that Warren Ellis has touched. And anybody who don't who doesn't like Warren Ellis can uh, just get out. Like, Says the guy who hasn't read Planetary or Transmetropolitan. Doesn't mean that I don't like Warren Ellis, you dingus. Jerk, shut up. You know, do you know he has a new book coming out? I think I did, but I forget. The Called about it. Injection. It's actually okay. drawn by his Moon Knight collaborator, De- Declan Shelby. Then I will be checking that out. Um, I anyway, uh, I tell like me, tell me more about Moon Knight. What's the the nuts and bolts of this this first story? Uh, he's helping a bunch of ghosts from some guys, and uh, go. You know, it. it this is, you know, it, it sucks because this is issue 13, but it's also issue one mm-hmm. um, where I don't really know what to make of everything that happens because I don't have more of the story in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it seems like th- this is getting set up a lot of uh, where it's Honshu uh, viewing uh, Spe- Mark Spector as his priest. That really seems to be what they're kind of building up here. Um, and I know, like, in the previous runs, you know, you've had Moon Knight say, like, I'm the, tra- you know, I'm the protector of night travelers and have that mostly mean, like, just, you know, people who are outside at night. Yeah. Um, but this seems to mean, like, something more than that. And it seems to be kind of approaching it on a spiritual level, like, using the word priest. Um, and I, I'm trying to look up real quick other words, like, Hanshu uses. They're very, like, they're shepherd. very... Shepherd. Oh, yeah. I'm a shepherd. Um, this is your congregation. Like these are all very loaded uh, religious terms. Calls them like the flock. It is the shepherd's duty to protect them. So it seems like that's kind of the direction uh, that this is all heading. Because at the you know the, the way that um, Moon Knight finds where these guys are is he follows the footprints. There's footprints that lead to where this group of guys who are you know causing issues with the ghosts are. And then when he leaves, 
uh, you know, he's very beat up and he's walking out and he's leaving these bloody footprints behind and the ghosts begin to follow him. They begin to follow his footprints. Hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly what that means. I don't know yet. It could be like really, really cool. So I am really curious. Um, art wise, the art grew on me. I don't really like how, uh, how Atkins uh, draws faces. I was just going to say, I'm looking at a page right now where a guy's face looks really weird. Yeah, that is pretty much all of them, um, especially when they're talking. Yeah, uh, their their expressions are kind of... Yeah, not not, uh, not a great big fan of it there. But when he gets, like, when we get into the action of it, it works really well, and I really like the, I really like it. Um, so like, I like the first, like, I'm looking back at the first page that kind of does the... Yeah, there's parts of it that... The non-sequitur, like, cut from panel to panel to panel that's mm -hmm. like, oh, that's really good. Yeah, it, um, there's parts of it that are good uh, and parts of it that I do not love. Um, so it's it's serviceable art. It You know, it, it as long as uh, Moon Knight's punching people in the books, I'm sure I'll like it. Um, but if it ends up getting to all, like, talking, I'll enjoy it less. Um, yeah, this is definitely a book that I think... And, and not that every creator should put their own stamp on it, um, but already like the dialogue seems more. Well, if there's more I don't dialogue. Want to say, there's more dialogue than, yeah, than which, I think any previous issue. A lot of people really loved uh, Warren Ellis uh, because so much of that storytelling uh, was was like visual and like the dialogue was very minimalistic, but it serviced things really well. And in this, it you know, it's a lot more people are talking. It's yeah. There's more reliance on on the dialogue. I know some of Brian Wood's issues were a bit more wordy, but there there was definitely a reliance on the art to carry a lot of the story. Mm -hmm. Here, it feels kind of like half and half. The writing and the the art doesn't feel strong enough, um, or style. I would say stylish stylish enough compared mm -hmm. to previous issues. I agree. Um, so all in all, if you, if you enjoyed the, uh, the Warren Ellis run, this will probably be a run that you like, but I, I can't give a full stamp on it cause I don't have a full feel on it yet. Um, two issues will probably be good enough for me to fully understand, uh, or to like to get a really good sense. Um, you know, but for right now, if you're, if you have enjoyed Moon Knight so far, I would say check it out, see what, uh, see what you like, see what your thoughts are. If you don't like it, you don't have to pick it up. Easy as that. Easy as that. Vote with your wallet. It is true. It's true. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and tell us about Invisible Republic? Because I didn't get to pick that up this week. <clears throat> Invisible Republic was one that caught my eye, uh, in part because the artist Gabriel Hardman um, has worked on... Gabriel Hardman. Hardman. Um, has worked on various uh, Christopher Nolan productions. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe his most recent one was Interstellar. Um, excuse me. Um, and it's the book is co-written or written. I, I, I mean, I, I imagine they. Yeah, it's okay. It's written by both of them, uh, by Karina Betchko, Betko, uh, who's actually his wife. Hmm. Um, if uh, if you if you, even if you just check out like a preview on uh, online, um, you know the art is very cinematic. It's very gray. Uh, mm -hmm. the, 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 I mean, the, the world that they're taking place, it's very much a Ridley Scott alien-esque, you know, it's a gritty sci-fi setup, you know, everything. We've never seen, we've it, never seen that before. So that's, that, that's refreshing. Not, yeah, not, nothing's white and gleaming. Um, 
But this is this is basically a, a sci-fi Breaking Bad. Is kind of the way it's being uh, built up. Except it seems like so. All right, the short version. Um, it it starts in the present of the story, um, which obviously takes place in the future, where uh, a sort of disgraced uh, journalist named um, Kro Kroger Bab, Kroger Kroger Badge, whatever his name's Kroger. Um, like the is, grocery store? Kro is is that a grocery store? Yes, it's where I Kro shop for groceries. Kroger Bab, Kroger, Kroger. Hold on, somebody. Kro C R O G E R. Kroger, Kroger, C -R -O. B A B B. So the rest, the uh, not the restaurant, the uh, the grocery store is K R O G E R. Interesting. I wonder if that's any at all any relation. I, I wonder if they like that went to press and they were like, wait a minute, <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, so he. So this is just after the fall of a, a dictate, dictatorial regime, uh, and Kroger is um, trying to find, basically trying to find a story in all the wreckage. Uh, basically, in um, he can't get anyone to talk about um, what happened on this particular. I think it was a moon called Avalon, um, and he ends up uh, finding a homeless guy burning paper to keep warm. And when he takes a closer look at the paper, it ends up being uh, a diary written by someone named Maya Reveron. Uh, and then basically the story jumps between Kroger's story and Maya's story, which uh, you find out that Maya is actually the cousin of the dictator hmm. or the now disposed dictator, uh, Arthur McBride. Uh, and it basically starts with the early, early, early days of Arthur McBride and ultimately leads up to him becoming the person that apparently did a whole lot of bad shit. Hmm. Um, so it's interesting. On one hand, like it's a Breaking Bad thing where you know, um, where it's following someone who goes from a fairly unassuming, you know, place in life and becomes something ex in a sense, in a way extraordinary. Except the vibe I'm getting from this, and especially giving uh, some of the, uh, the back matter content in the issue, I think it's going to end up being more Maya Reveron's story than it is Arthur McBride's. And you're going to see his uprising or his eyes. rise and fall through her experiences. And okay. I'm sure we'll see her start to change as well as the story goes on. I, you know, I, I don't, you know, besides the fact that we, we obviously know where Arthur McBride ends up. Um, I'm, I don't really know where the story is going, but it's, it's well written up that like the dialogue's good. The art's good. Um, that I, I didn't feel like was sometimes with, with new concepts with first issues, uh, I think I think we, that we've discussed in the past. Sometimes it's like trying to get to that first issue. If it's not pulling you in, like you're kind of feeling dragged. I didn't feel dragged with this issue at all. I felt like there was enough going on, even though it was fairly light on like individual events. Like basically, it's 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 Kroger contemplating the 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 journal and like one particular journal entry that we're we're seeing mm -hmm. uh, happen before our eyes. So there's, there's not a lot of content, but it's it's well executed, mm -hmm. which I guess is what you'd expect from someone who storyboards, um, you know, successful movies. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure when it gets to like in, with movies, if you're trying to tell such a big story, it's how do we get all of this down to two hours and make it make did, it sense. He did Inception, Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar. Uh, he even did X Men Two. I'm sorry, in, in Inception. Um, yeah, never heard of that one. Oh yeah, you've never heard of Inception. Never, never heard of Inception. Oh yeah, not even Dark Knight Rises. 
Ah, uh, that sounds like vaguely familiar. Was uh, yeah, was, I think was, it was like a cult film. Was Johnny like, Depp in that one? Sounds like I think, he was, I think that was the Johnny. It was, Depp it was film. a Tim Burton he, movie, right? He was like a he was like a pirate or something. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um. Anyway, it it, it was good. So it's, many so many know, people were just like no more and just shut us off. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, In- Invisible Republic was good. It's a good start. Like I said, it's. I don't really know where it, it, where it's going to go, but I, I at least want to check out the next few issues. It seems like a book, and it seems like a lot of the book coming out of Image, a lot of the creative teams have kind of long-term visions. Mm-hmm. And when when you're watching just like a couple of TV shows, it's like, sure, I can commit to, you know, a bunch of like long-term plot. And I like long-term plotting versus mm-hmm. just like flash in the pan procedural things. Um, but when you're reading like a billion comic books, it can seem kind of daunting to be like, all right, I like what I'm seeing here. But, you know, do I want to invest the next several years of my life in following the story month by month or whatever? Um, but it, it might be worth checking out in the future. They seem like, a, as a creative team, as people, they seem very they seem very intelligent. Um, I think they have a, a good head on their shoulder, and they, they have a strong idea of what direction they want to take it in. And the reason that uh, I think it's going to follow Maya Reveron more than anyone is uh, one of the backmark pieces written by Karina is about how is a historical piece about the role of women in Genghis Khan's empire, hmm. uh, how his uh, his female children, uh, otherwise known as daughters, <laughs> um, um, what am I trying to say? Um, you know, held like actually like high ranking positions within his empire. Like they would actually rule over like large swaths of land. You said Genghis um, Khan. Did, what? You said Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Yeah, huh. that was not uh, a, that was not a plot point in Marco Polo. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, I not having finished Marco Polo, um, I could, I could tell by the first episode or two that that is true. Um, except for the naked fight scene, the naked fight scene. Yep. Yep. Making you remember that. Um, but basically this was, it's all about how like his daughters were like actual, like the equivalent of like local warlords or whatever. Like they would command battles. They would, you know, negotiate stuff. They would, um, they would rule and they were respected and all this stuff. And then basically Genghis Khan died there was a lot of infighting between all the siblings. Um, eventually, everything kind of plunged into chaos, and the result was basically all of them, all the the female, you know, uh, rulers kind of being disgraced, a ton of women being killed, and them kind of being stamped out of the history books. Mm-hmm. So it's something where where the fact that one of the elements of, the, of Invisible Republic, and this might be even be where Invisible the Invisible part comes in, was that no one knew who this Maya Reveron was until this journalist found this diary of her detailing, you know, her relationship to the dictator. Um, so it's, it's a sci-fi book, you know, there's spaceships. It takes place on a site on a moon colony, whatever. Um, but there's definitely this sort of like hidden history element to it that I find really appealing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, invisible Republic, um, I'd actually even double it as my recommendation just uh you know as a first issue I thought it read very well and I think people should check it out. All right, very cool. Very cool. Um let's you know we we haven't really talked about uh about TV shows in a while on here about yeah, the, the uh, shows. both both shows uh Flash and Arrow are kind of like the the two main ones that we watch have mm-hmm. kind of hit some um what's what I'm looking for? Milestones um Epics. They're taking some big strides. You know, the seasons are getting ready to enter their final, uh, like their final arcs, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. Um, well, this is episode 16, so we've got 
about six more episodes uh, in each. Yeah, um, they get up to like what twenty three. It's like bet- like between twenty two and twenty four. It's usually okay. somewhere in that ballpark. But before we get to those, though, let's uh, let's talk about the newcomer this week. Um, let's talk about I Zombie, which is based on the uh, Chris Robertson and uh, Mike Allred joint um, from twenty eleven. The story follows a uh, a young girl. Well, I mean, she's in med school, so you know. Uh, anyway, a girl who was on her way to becoming a very promising doctor goes to a party, uh, gets turned into a zombie. Uh, so she takes a job at a morgue because in order to maintain her humanity, she has to eat brains occasionally. And in eating the brains, uh, she gets flashes of memories and not just flashes of memory, like, um, like bits of personality as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like that, that come to her uh, that she then uses to, and you know, it's only been one episode so far, but we know this is what's going to happen that she uses to uh, usually solve the crimes. Yeah. Um, the murders that are all going to be murders because they're dead people. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it won't really escape the dead people thing. Yep. Uh, but anyway, developed for TV by uh, Rob Thomas, not the lead man for matchbox 20. Um, but the guy who was behind Veronica Mars, which I never saw, I've never seen it either, but it seems I've in my wheelhouse. And I have everyone, a fr- everyone talks about it. I, I have a friend that's very, uh, very big into it. Uh, and Diane, uh, Ruggiero, Ruggiero, uh, anyway, also, um, behind Veronica Mars, uh, starring what's that girl's name? She I'm, is a girl. I'm we know that for her. sure. Well, she was kind of an unknown quantity before. Uh, Rose MacGyver. Rose MacGyver. There we go. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a, a whole bunch of cast of other folks. Um, anyway, what were your thoughts? I, I was the present, uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, I read the first few issues of the iZombie book. I I enjoyed them. You know, I never, I had rented it out of the library or something, if I remember correctly. Uh, and, and I, so maybe I read the first volume and, and I, it was good. Um, um, it's, I, I mean, it's a great concept and obviously it's owned by DC, so they kind of do whatever they want. I know that uh, to get into some backstory that, that Chris Roberson, the the writer, uh, had a falling out with DC, like just basically around, uh, the flashpoint, uh, event, hmm. um, he he didn't care for their sort of editorial micromanaging. Um, he was kind of like the the predecessor to all the criticism that was lobbed at DC in the the early days of the New Fifty Two. Um, hmm. And I think as a result, I don't. I think the book was can I can't remember if the book was canceled just because of low sales or whatever, or if it was canceled as a result of him um, kind of having a falling out with the publisher. Because I know he had, he had had like a a storyline. Um, ready to go for one of the the fable spinoff books, um, and that that got canceled when he he had his falling out. So I don't remember which came first, but oh, Robin Kyver is our is uh, born in October. I'm slightly older than her. Anyway, um, don't don't think about that too hard, Nick. Uh, I'm less successful, um, but. Anyway, it's just interesting to me that um, a, a, a property associated with the writer, at least internally from DC, that kind of gave them grief, you know, whether right or wrong, that that's something that they would produce 
as a TV pilot. You know, when you oh, think of everything that could be turned into a TV show or a movie or whatever, uh-huh. you know, it's interesting that this one kind of came up to the surface. But for what it's worth, it's a good show. I mean, as far mm-hmm. as the first episode goes, like I kind of mentioned earlier on the show, I don't necessarily care for procedural shows. I like overarching long-form stories. There could be one here, um, but it is kind of cool. a flavor, you know, monster, villain, whatever, case of the week type show. But the the charm of Rose McIver... Um, uh, came through. I liked a lot of like the the supporting characters, like Malcolm Goodwin as Clive uh, Babano, the police detective. Okay, see, I it's funny because I wasn't a really big fan of him at first. I thought he was going to annoy me, um, but then there's some point when he's like, you know, looking to go solve part of the case. And he's trying to get her attention, and she's like, oh, I have to go do something else. And he's like, oh man, like I thought, you know, I, I thought we were going to be like a team. Like I had a whole, I had a name picked out for us. Like I don't know why that just like that made me laugh, and I suddenly viewed him in a much better light after yeah a bit. no he i i kind of i kind of gravitate towards from the get-go but that definitely sealed it um that he's he's he kind of just like he gets like this this whole you know z- zombie girl thing gets kind of thrown in his lap and he just kind of goes with it uh i thought you know sometimes the executing that can sometimes be perilous but it worked mm-hmm. uh her uh boss at the morgue uh Rahul Kohli as Dr. Ravi Chakrabarti. Uh-huh. Um, okay, that's a mouthful. Yep. But uh, um, I, I, I like his enthusiasm. There's just something about the show where even though it's about death and dead people, it's actually kind of enthusiastic yeah, and no, refreshing. That, that's one of the things that really caught me too because this is something that could be uh, it could be dark comedy um, which I, it has a couple of dark comedy moments, but without being too like gruesome. Um, and instead, you know, it, 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 it does a good job of straddling that line of, of like, there's drama. Yes. Um, but it's in the grand scheme of it, things are, like you said, a little more lighthearted, um, which is just kind of like funny considering it's about, um, a girl who has to eat brains in order to stop from becoming a horrible zombie. Um, but no, it definitely was like kind of refreshing that this wasn't just like just really dark the whole time. Um, that he's like, you know, his whole goal is to try and find a cure for her. I don't know. That I, I definitely agree with you on that. That uh, this 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 not being um, I'm, grim and gritty. Yeah, grim and gritty uh, really worked in its favor. Excuse me. I agree. Um, I'm definitely gonna check out the next episode. Uh, you know, I'm probably I'm, gonna check out the next few. I'm I'm interested. Yeah, I you know uh, <laughs> only have so much time for so many TV shows, but I, I would like to I, add iZombie to the list. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, people, if you you know if you saw iZombie and you liked it, didn't like it, shoot us some emails. You know, message us yeah. on Twitter. Let us Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> message us on Twitter. On the Twitter. On uh, um, uh, I guess my Boston accent coming through. Um, yeah. Um, but you know, let us, us know what you think. Yeah, uh, us, like, I share think your I, thoughts. Because th- um, this is a this is also something that um, I was talking to a couple people, and they they thought like, oh, you know, like I enjoyed it, but it really feels more like a girl show. I didn't get that vibe. You know, I didn't either. I, I it's very think it's a neutral show. Like I, I mean, yes, it's it's following a female character, and you know, uh, she she's you know she you know was engaged now isn't engaged, and that's obviously very emotional for her. Um, 
you know, but I mean, we watch Arrow and The Flash, and those are male-centered shows with a lot of relationship drama. And I think mm-hmm. people that say like guy show versus girl show don't realize that like they both kind of deal with the same things, just from either the female perspective or the male perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in this case, I feel like it's a show that just because it's centering on a female character doesn't mean that it's a girly show. No, no, I agree. Um, Rose MacGyver, I can't even think of what her name is in the show. Liv. Uh, her name's Liv, and she's dead. I just got it. Um, <laughs> well, it's Liv Moore. <laughs> is her name really Liv Moore? Yeah. I didn't even catch that. Oh, my gosh. That is that is hilarious. That's actually really clever. I like it. Um, um, you know, there's something there for everyone in the show, uh, and I think that if, if you give it a chance, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, so I called her an unknown quantity, which was really stupid on my part, um, because she's been in a ton of stuff. Like, not a, a ton of stuff you may have seen, unless you watched Power Rangers RPM. Um, she was, in, was she a Power Ranger? She was the yellow uh, yellow Power Ranger. She was a Power Ranger? She was a Power Ranger. I <laughs> like her so much more. I, I was uh, about to say the same thing, like, Wow, I'm trying. Wait, the the car ones, the original car. No, R, oh, RPM is a newer one. I didn't it's uh, 2009. That. I I haven't watched it either. But yeah, yeah, she was uh she was the Yellow Ranger, on that. Um, she was also in Once Upon a Time in a few episodes as Tinkerbell, which I've watched a lot of Once Upon a Time, so it's weird that I didn't recognize her. Um, she was on Masters of Sex. I've seen the first few episodes of that. That's a good show. Yeah. Anyway, see once upon a time. I uh, said dumb stuff. She is a, a not. She is known quantity. But this is a show that I think is going to get a lot of benefit of the doubt from people, um, mm-hmm. because uh, because Rob Thomas is is attached to it, and um, Veronica Mars has such a huge following. I mean, they kickstarted that movie in no time, um, and I, I think it's. I would say that we have a second season guaranteed out of this. I think it's a it's a mid-season replacement, so we're only going to get like 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would not be surprised if it picks up uh, for a whole season uh, come next year, I guess, um, even though it would just be later. The longer year. second season, yeah. Yeah. Um, taglines, kicking ass and taking brains. Uh, I really enjoyed her co-worker slash boss um, a lot. I, I like that he just kind of like figured it out and just went with it. Um, I love when he walks in. He's like, can I ask something? Like, why the hot sauce? Is that a zombie thing? Um, was, uh, he, he was, he's an amusing guy. I can see him uh, providing a lot of laughs as time goes on. Um, and her mom is a giant bitch. I don't really like her. Let's just... <laughs> Let's just move on from that. Um, and yeah, her, the, I'm interested to see how like her her roommate and her mom and her brother and all that mm-hmm. kind of come in and out of focus. Yeah. Also, it's like it's always awkward with things like this where like obviously setting her up with like a fiance like before the the change and then kind of being like you know like the fact that she she breaks it off and you know obviously can't give an explanation and all that. Um, what am I trying to say? Um, I don't know. You know, it's, it, you know, in, in, the, in the first episode, like she she walks by his window and sees that like he's happy, he's he's moved, like he's already moved on. Um, but like, is, is he going to come back into focus? Does is he going to play a recurring role? Are they going to do like a will they or won't they thing? And it's just a tough thing because you're given a relationship at the outset and said like this relationship already mattered because they got as far as being engaged. Um, but then 
despite her circumstances, she, you know, they were, you know, I, I think in, in my relationship, you know, and I imagine even in yours, like if you went through a similar experience, like, yeah, you'd be terrified and you'd be confused and you wouldn't know what to do. But the one person that you might turn to and be honest with would be your significant other. In yeah, most cases, not, not in every relationship. But that's such, that's such a typical thing of like something supernatural happened to me nobody can understand except exactly. for this, like, it's typical except for this... in the sense that like it, it creates drama right. for the show but isn't right. realistic right like except for this one person who finds out and totally handles it really well yeah oh, get, like, the, she... the 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 more mortician and the police officer yeah. are totally well, the police cool officer doesn't know oh whatever but you know right. is dealing with the freaky elements of it but my fiance is someone who i've been with long enough to to get engaged to and dedicate my life to, now, you know, yeah. isn't going to be able to handle it. I, I can understand, like, I'm not, you know, I don't want to, like, marry you right now because I'm afraid of what might happen. But like, Yeah, I, I mean, I understood the idea that she was worried about him getting infected but, by, but, you know, like, sharing yeah, bodily but, but fluids again, or whatever. But then again, she still, like, she still lives with a roommate. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I totally. But she, she, there are some of this she doesn't have to be in close physical contact with. No, but like, what about that one time when like she forgets to eat a brain and she like wanders around the apartment and eats her roommate? You know, it's true. Like, true. Like, there's still that big potential for danger there. Um, but I mean, whatever. It 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 works for the show. I, I we get why they do it. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And I, you know, like I I texted you earlier. I it's always good to see uh, David Anders getting work. So, um, and of course we have to talk about flash. We just have to flash was a big one. Now, how spoilery do we want to get here? Uh, I think we just got to go. Always, full. We always say that and we might as well just talk about like, it. Like we have to go full spoilers on this one. There's, mm -hmm. there's no other way around it. Um, holy crap. Holy crap. The flash, uh, the time travel, murder things getting found out it was it was start, big man? and it's it's one of those things though that um i i feel like what am i trying to say um they they made a lot of revelations changes in this episode but given the time travel aspect oh. at the end could erase all of it oh no absolutely no abs absolutely and this 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 episode um could not have happened without that <clears throat> that escape you know like the uh, um i don't want to say scapegoat but the uh like the can't think of word i'm thinking of anyway like th this episode wouldn't have happened if time travel wasn't part of it um you know wells revealing that he's the reverse flash his real name uh why he's here and then murdering cisco uh barry telling iris and kissing her uh, like none of that would have happened if they weren't, if this wasn't a season finale, or if they weren't like, oh, okay, we're just gonna have time travel, and like erase that stuff. Um, which not to say like it wasn't amazing, and like it doesn't feel like super disingenuous. Mm -hmm. um, they presented the stuff like really well. I would say like Iris finding out about Barry, that's whatever. Um, but like I, I really thought like the whole Wells and and Cisco stuff worked really well and that could have been something that happened in an episode um without time travel to erase it mm -hmm. um because of my love for cisco like i'm glad that he isn't going to be dead 
Um, and you can't outrun my tears, Barry. That's just, that's all I have to say about that. I don't care how fast you are. You can't outrun uh, my tears or Cisco's tears, man. I, I rewatched that scene today, like just to see the like acting of it. It was and, well done. Uh, it was so well done. It was just like a, you knew Cisco knew and you knew the second he knew that like he wasn't going to make it out of there. So it made it very, it made it very heart wrenching. And that's, that's, um, that's something that, um, that Tom Cavanaugh and uh, Cisco had actually like worked out beforehand. Um, that wasn't like the director didn't even say that to him. It was like the, the, the two actors figured that out in the scene and that's the vibe they went with vibe. Which is, which is great. Cause yeah. I mean, you, you have something where Cisco is, is, is uh, both being betrayed, you know, he's being betrayed by a mentor, a father figure, you know, a friend. And at the same time, reconciling with the fact that he's not leaving that room alive. Mm -hmm. He even like and, he, he says that line where it's like, you know, I could help you, but you know, it's disingenuous because like, you know, you killed Nora Allen. Yeah, um, like, yeah, he, oh man, it was it was good. The other thing is, and and yes, like I know you're convinced that Cisco's coming back because he's on the cast list, which I don't think necessarily means, at least for this season, anything because he could appear in an alternate reality or in flashbacks. They can't. Uh, they can't. No, no. Denial, denial does you, not mean that it's not true. He's necessary to the show. He's not necessary to the show. He, he's necessary to the current incarnation of the show. And clearly, there, you know, so was Doctor Wells. The the whole like, uh Flash and his three amigos helping him hunt down crime. Going into season two, Wells, you know, obviously not being able to be whether Wells takes on sort of like a Malcolm Merlin type role uh, in future seasons. You know, it's not going to be them operating out of Star I mean, maybe they still operate out of Star Labs, but it's not going to be the same way that they were. And it's one of those things where I think they, they, they could rescue Cisco, you know, well, but via he, time travel. He didn't, he didn't go like, okay, continue. It, they could rescue him and then he'd be alive. And I don't think it would necessarily be any less disingenuous, but I would say from a dramatic standpoint, first off, Flash doesn't even know that Cisco's in trouble. So while he's in the past, unless he somehow stumbles upon some kind of kernel of, uh, of some clue that would lead him to uh, stopping Wells before he kills Cisco, um, but that also means that he's going to get kind of stuck with this choice. If he does find out that Cisco's in trouble, is he going to go stop the Weather Wizard or is he going to go stop, um, uh, save Cisco? Well, because okay, he's going to be in a position he can, where he can stop it, the Weather Wizard so much faster this time. Like it's not even going to be an issue because he already knows he, when he's going to make that play on the police station. He just has to be there. Uh, the captain doesn't get injured, so he doesn't rush off to help him. So the weather wizard doesn't get away. Like so much stuff changes. Ooh, but it could maybe, but potentially it can make things even worse. And the the next week's episode has has a lot to do with the rogues. So I don't think they're just gonna replay things from last week at a, at a different perspective. Well, no, no, I, that's why I think things are gonna change drastically by mm -hmm. him being in the past. But then you also wonder how they how they're gonna go. That do the whole time travel thing. Like I remember on Lost, they had the whole explanation that like if you travel backwards in time, like you know you might be in the past, but for you that's your present. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so technically, especially if Barry, if Barry stops the Weather Wizard before he he creates the tidal wave, then he also stops Barry from being in a position where he has to travel through time. Well, but no, you can't get into like time paradox because like this, this is a show that's just going to go, Oh, we're in an alternate timeline. Well, that's what I mean. So if he's, if, if the other uh, popular time travel theory is that 
any alterations you make to the past don't change the the future and what you came from, but creates a whole divergent timeline. So you're basically basically your actions are futile because all you're doing is creating a whole other reality. No, I think and I think that's the approach they're going to go with. It's also more appropriate for the show. But that means that if if all he's doing by by altering the past is creating a, a divergent timeline. That means that the timeline that he should return to is the one where Cisco is still dead. Right, and see, that's and that's kind of what I mentioned to you. I would love if there was an episode where he goes back to that timeline and sees, um, you know, what's happened with Cisco being dead. Um, uh, Snow knows that um, Wells is up to something, and there's no Flash. Like it would just look so different. Um, there, there was. So yeah, this like the, the things being changed. There is a little bit of like it feels like all that stuff that happened in the end was a little bit pointless. But at the same time, like there's there is stuff that still can come up. Like uh, Barry knows that this one guy has a file that's supposed to prove that uh, Wells killed um, Sebastian Stan. Right, that's his name. Uh, not uh, Sebastian Stan. Stan. Sorry, that's that is that's a bunch of soldiers. Uh, Simon Stag. Simon, Simon Stag. You can see where I got that mixed up. Um, <laughs> Sebastian Stan. Uh, he killed Bucky Barnes. Um, and there's also, uh, he was on the phone with, um, with Snow and she was like, there's something about Dr. Wells you have to know, but he never gets to find out what that is. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that suspicion that's now going to be in Barry's mind that there's something about Wells that he doesn't know. Um, and I, Curious to see how that all plays out. Uh, curious to see the rogues kind of actually come together now that we have, I think, most of them uh, in play. Uh, I'm curious because Wentworth Miller um, is supposed to be on the superhero team-up show. And Heatwave, I believe, was also announced as being yeah. on it. So I don't get, is are they going to be villains who appear? Or are they going to be, like, good guys? I really don't know. There's so much about that show that, to me right now, with what limited information we have, doesn't make sense. Like, like the role why is that Katie Lotz coming Sarah, back? Like, like Katie Lotz, Sarah Lance, being involved in the show in some way. And and he's and they've said it's a superhero team up show, not an anthology show. So, uh, you know, it's going to be her like current day. But which um, I I know, and this can segue into Arrow that they reveal that Shadow is alive, and now that they've kind of like just. Flat out said, like, "Hey, Lazarus Pits." Um, it's I'm very curious possible. to see how they handle the shadow thing. You know, because the only thing is, is that if there was supposed to be some kind of, unless there's a Lazarus Pit on Leanne Yu, you know, if, if Shadow is in fact alive, you know, well, okay, what happens to her between this season, you know, this this period of, of Ollie's past and him returning to Starling well, City? Well, but here's the thing, like. I don't, I don't necessarily think that she's alive because the way that Ollie talks about her post everything. Well, I mean, she might die again, but why, <laughs> why do they bring her back? Especially if she ultimately just dies again. What's the, what's the drive? What's the purpose? A lot of questions. Twin there. sister? I don't know. I don't, uh, but also, if it's going to involve Sarah Lance coming back, which just seems kind of weird to do. And have two canaries running around. I'm not saying you can't have two canaries because we have like two arrows running around. Well, but, but I think the two canaries, you have Laurel who's very invested in uh, Starling City. And, it, it you know, it's fine if um, 
if Sarah is like, I'm, you know, going to go be the canary to everyone else. The global canary, yeah. To Bloodhaven. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. There is, I'm very curious to see how that spinoff show pans out. I will, of course, obviously be watching. But let's talk about other things from Arrow. Uh, yeah. oh, 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 wait, wait. Final words, th- thoughts on The Flash? I uh, do not like Iris. <laughs> I have an affinity for the actress. There's something about her that I like, the actress. You think she's attractive? Uh, bare minimum. Uh, I mean, not, she she is attractive. Um, but as far as the way Iris is written, she comes off as... Um, they, I don't know if they know what to do with her or they think that they're doing something with her that people are actually enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think anyone is. Uh, the The romance between Barry and, and Iris is kind of like a Ross-Rachel thing. Like, they're really, like, yes, they grew up together, so there's, like, just sort of a, a almost a, 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 just a childhood bond to their relationship. Mm-hmm. But they're not compatible personalities. Um, and like the way that they behaved in the bowling alley was just, I don't care. Like, I don't care if like, like you're, you're sort of kind of foster siblings, you know, and I'm not saying this hasn't probably had, this has probably happened in real life with foster siblings. But, um, if Iris is someone that we want to root for, especially as like a romantic interest, she can't come off as either oblivious in, like in general, like everyone has oblivious moments, but she can't come off as like, in general as either oblivious or stupid. And mm-hmm. the way that she behaved, um, and Barry, it partly is just making me go like, "Oh, Barry, what the heck are you doing?" But like when she like wipes the food from his mouth or whatever, like, it, like okay, great, you guys were sort of kind of brother sister, but you're also kind of sort of attracted to each other. But like, you don't do that if you're a decent person in the, in regardless of what feelings you have for someone else mm-hmm. uh, to the people that are around you, like for Linda and, and Eddie, especially like she's necessarily have to care about how yeah. Linda feels, but the fact that her own boyfriend was right there and she writes it off. It's just like, Oh, well, Barry and I are just like super, you know, we grew up together. We're like super close. Like no Iris that doesn't work. Nick, That's an excuse. Nick, Eddie's so dreamy though. That's what I mean. Eddie deserves happiness. She's totally turning well, him into a supervillain. Yeah, okay, so real quick. Um, your theory about him being future Barry is so far out the window. It's wrong, uh, it's, I know. It's so Unless Eobarthon is also, also future, future Barry. Barry. See, I'm curious now, because in their introduction of that, uh, they presented this greater mystery of what is going to happen with Eddie because he had that moment... Um, Wells, when you know, when he said that he's Earbarthon, Cisco's like Eddie. It's like let's call him a distant relative. It's like there's just like a look about him, the way that he handled that. I don't know. Yeah, well, if Eobard is from like the 25th century, then he's well, you know, yeah, a he, few hundred years removed from, but, you know, present day. But he, but like the way it's like let's call him, like it's not even like let's you know oh he was my you know super great grandfather. It's like let's call him a distant relative. I think that has some other implications. Um, and, oh, yeah. and also, yeah, he's, he does say, uh, but you've been dead to me for centuries as he cut my heart out as he stabbed Cisco with his <laughs> speed force hand. It's, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to like brainstorm in my head, like the whole, like, okay, so Eddie is a distant relative. Eobar is from the 25th century, but whatever goes on in the 25th century 
compels him to want to travel back in time to and kill, kill Barry. Barry. Yep. And which makes him mistakenly kill Nora. Nora. The only thing is, is that. Oh, I, I guess the reason that he doesn't kill Barry, and then he has to wait out Barry becoming the Flash. But actually, but ultimately, Barry becomes the Flash because Harrison Wells creates don't, the particle accelerator. Okay, accelerated. don't even try. Like that's don't even get into. But it. I, just, I just I want to know like how they're gonna tie it all together. Also, I feel like Eobard Thon's Dude. his 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 reason. Like I don't feel like all of his his motivations have been fully revealed. Oh, like, yes, he wants not. to get home. Well, we also don't know why Barry Allen's speed is the key how did he figure that out there's yeah there's a lot we absolutely do not know because um, also has speed powers but his are faltering is his faltering because he's like several centuries in the past we don't know i mean it's speed force man speed force uh, i saw this great... don't do speed force at home it's true i saw this great gif uh on the era or the uh the flash subreddit where it's um it's you know the flash running with the word speed force behind him and then uh, there's like a flash, and it's the flash symbol. Uh, it says "Speed Force." I ain't gotta explain shit, uh, which is uh, true. There's I like the, I like the uh, there's these. It's like two pictures, and there's like one. Um, uh, it's like with like the flash and like a girl, and it says with flash. And then there's uh, one where it's like just a girl, but like a darker picture, and it just says without flash. Uh, there's one I saw recently of uh, it's a picture of Tom Cavanaugh. Um, like picture without zoom and then it's zoomed in but he's has has like the yellow suit on it says picture with zoom <laughs> i like it it's pretty good it's pretty good <sighs> well any other thoughts uh do you, do you have any thoughts on flash re- or arrow we've been talking uh, a bit longer about the, the stuff than we usually do so if you um power i mean arrow, arrow arrow's definitely been kind of melodramatic um uh I'm. I, I want one thing I like is how mature Oliver is being, mm-hmm. uh, especially in regards to like the Ray and Felicity thing. Like they could like overplay it and like make him really like react harshly to it. But I like his sense of restraint and maturity, uh, and dealing with the fact that a lot of maturity know, this season. Um. Yeah. That that he like he he's not going to behave like a jackass because you know he denies someone from being with him. And he's not trying to prevent them from being with anyone else, mm-hmm. which obviously is kind of a sociopathic thing to do. So I'm just glad. But sometimes they, they, TV characters kind of do sociopathic things that were supposed to be deemed as, like, normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that, like, it, it was just refreshing that he did that. Um, Thea is one of those characters where I, like, I don't know where they're ultimately going to go with her. Like, Oliver's already got a pretty, you know, the Arrow Cave is getting pretty cramped. So the idea that like Theo might also put on some kind of duds. I don't. You know? I don't get the feeling that she's going to though. But then I don't know what else she's gonna do. Like now that she's like she knows, like she can't just sit on the sidelines. So she that they you know she's been written, being written off as having you know being trained by Malcolm Merlin, having you know superior fighting skills or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you just don't you know she's not like the kind of character that like, didn't know what was going on, so she could just be involved in running the bar or throwing a party or something like. You know, she's always going to ultimately find herself back in the crosshairs. And I mean, I could, I'm I, just, I don't, I don't know if they're going to kill her off. No, I think, well, well they might actually, because they've been, you know, they typically kill off about one main character a season. They killed off uh, Tommy, Moira, and I mean, she could be in the crosshairs next. Um, I, I know that um, there was some Twitter, Twitter, 
Oh yeah, episode episode nineteen, day. someone dies. Like uh, I know um, Roy, uh, the actor that plays Roy, uh, Colin Haynes mentions having a really tough day on set. Uh, Oliver as well. They they talk about having to say goodbye. So someone dies in episode nineteen. And you know it's not Diggle. We know it's you not. Know it's Roy. not Felicity. It's probably not Malcolm Rowling. I feel like it's going to end up being Felicity. Um, wait, Felicity? Not Felicity. Oh, sorry. Uh, Thea. Thea. Yeah. I could see that because because this um when they get to the end of this episode, um, they they talk a lot about how uh like Raisha's offer of the league is not an offer. This this is not a man who get, makes offers. He gives orders. Um, Ali, you know, Ali walking out is all part of his plan to eventually have him be his replacement. Um, that no matter what happens, as far as Rachel Ghoul is concerned, this Rachel Ghoul is concerned, uh, Oliver is going to be uh, the next demon head, the leader of the League of Assassins. And um, somehow, you know, we're going to get that this plan, whatever this plan is, is leading all up to that. Um, so he like I think it part of it is he's trying to break Oliver of his delusion of Starling City mm-hmm. um, by becoming uh, the, this copycat killer, uh, trying to turn the city turn you know first the cops against him then the city. Um, why Thea's death would work into that I don't know but you know we'll, we'll find out. Uh, one thing that I've realized because people have been you know this season has not been as good as season two. Um, just to be honest, I'm still really enjoying it. I think part of that, though, is because season two, uh, when it comes to the villain, we'd already had like a half year of buildup. Um, and, you know, we knew the villain really well. We saw this turn. It was kind of sad when it all happened. Uh, and with, with Rachel Ghoul, we haven't had that. He's just kind of, he's been name dropped um, as this force kind of in the background. But we, we didn't really have that buildup with him. Um, and now, like now, he's on the scene, and I I like him. I like the actor. Uh, I like the, what they're doing with him. But it doesn't feel as big as Deathstroke did. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, they still have time to to build on that, and they've sort of laid the groundwork. Uh, but I think, like e- even by now, we were kind of all like, "Oh man, Slade Wilson! Whoa! Uh, whoa, guys! Whoa. It's Slade Wilson! Slade Wilson!" Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> well, they even make that joke. I'm stranded on an island, and my only friend is named Wilson. Uh, so, yeah, Nick, are you ready for a quiz? Yeah. Look, man, just accept it. This is like gonna hurt you more than it's gonna hurt me. Bring it. Yep. Alright, so uh, this is going to be a quiz. We've done this uh, before, but it's a quiz of firsts. Are quiz you... of firsts. Okay. Of firsts. So the first time that we've seen things. Like that's the theme. Um, Alright, let's see here. Let me, uh, you know, I, I didn't take the time to, of course, write these beforehand. Um, per usual. Per usual. Uh, all right. What was the first issue uh, where Catwoman is called Catwoman? The first issue of Batman, what she's called Catwoman. Batman number one. Ooh, no. What Bat- was it? Batman number two. Uh, 
I know. So close. So close. Dang it. Uh, all right. When the Green Arrow made his debut in More Fun Comics, number 73, who? what other character also made their debut alongside him? Speedy. Yep. Yeah, that would give you an easy one to balance it out. Uh, let's see. When in what issue of Spider-Man did he first sell photos to the Daily Bugle? Amazing Spider-Man number. Oh no, this is gonna trip me up because I actually read that issue. Um, two. Is that your final answer? Could be the first one. I think one of the first one. Uh, one. It's, one, 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 one. It's two. I'm gonna give it to you. Oh, okay. Thank jerk. you so much. I like. I read these the the originals not that long ago, and I remember the first one. He was. It was like Fantastic Four and the Chameleon, and I swear, like the second one, maybe with the Vulture. I don't remember why he like he went, mm -hmm. but okay. Maybe Spider-Man number two. All right. Cool. So two one. we all know that the Punisher first appeared. Uh, in Spider-Man comics. Uh, but when did the Punisher first kill someone? Now, it, it's kind of a confusing thing. So it was during giant... It's in one of the giant-sized Spider-Man books. But what number, giant-sized Spider-Man, did the Punisher first kill someone? Two. Mm, nope, it's number four. Oh, multiple of two multiples of two um let's see speaking of death uh in what issue of detective comics did the first death happen in a batman story the first one the first issue of well, um, detective comics which would be detective comics number 27 that is correct I actually have read the first Batman appearance. So have I. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> oh, what was that? Oh, I'm Jim Gordon. I just got a call about a murder. Hey there, my friend Bruce Wayne. Do you want to come with me to it? Uh, and I totally forgot to threaten your family in some horrible way. Um, but they get spared my punishment that was so evil I couldn't even uh, say it on air. Wow. Yeah. All right. No, our, our censors wouldn't allow it. That's, that's well, I'm happy for him. Yeah, you should be. It was going to be bad. <laughs> it was going to be bad. It's going to be horrible. <sighs> On to the news. The news. I've heard news is important. Uh, trying to think of something to say in like an old-timey news announcer voice. It's like, now we bring you the latest on the wire. <laughs> <laughs> you you would have fit in well back then, David. What I'm trying to say is that you're dated. Oh. You're dated, David. Oh. You heard me. I'm just going to sit here in depressed silence for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> and now the news. Fine. Get over it. <sighs> so John Cassidy has announced that he is leaving Star Wars. It's news, but it's also super expected news. It is super expected news. It's like Fiona Staples being like, I'm only on the first couple issues of Archie. <laughs> uh, it's, um, 
I mean, I actually thought he would he would only make it for like three or four issues. So the mm-hmm. fact that he managed to make it six is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and for what it's worth, uh, it's definitely some of his best work that I've seen in a while. Not that we get a lot of John Cassidy work, um, but it's been uh, this his work on on X Force felt. I don't know, lesser than this. Uh, and this is like as close to his phenomenal work on planetary and astonishing X-Men that I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and I, I'll even just bring up, like I, I read issue number three, the latest issue of Star Wars uh, last night. And it's the first three issues centered around the team um, trying to destroy this weapons factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they run afoul of Darth Vader. Luke has a, a pre-Empire Strikes Back confrontation with Darth Vader. Um, uh, it's very cinematic, but it's it's good. Occasionally, the faces get too photorealistic. Yeah, I think I think we, we talked about that. Well, we, uh, we talked about, like, I'm looking at like one page where like there's a, a shot of Princess Leia that's just like, I don't know. It's hard to, to feel like that he was just kind of sketching it from his imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, it ends on an interesting note where like the, the heroes have made off with some survivors, some of the slaves that they rescued, uh, and they're off back to rejoin the rebellion, you know, victory one. Um, and a lot of this issue kind of deals with, uh, it's definitely detailing Luke's kind of like dealing with the idea of becoming a Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends with, um, some, nondescript char- uh, characters on Tatooine um, driving by uh, Obi-Wan's house mm-hmm. uh, or, or his old shanty or whatever and there's a, a box that's been left inside of it that says for Luke hmm. so it's something that you know and I, I've never read almost any of the extended universe uh, Star Wars things you know prior to Disney owning them uh, especially anything that kind of took place before between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back uh, I'd be curious to let this book kind of go on for a while and then check out what Brian Wood had done just prior to uh, Marvel getting Star Wars back. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to be like, all right, so what really happened here? Uh, right. Or what, what happened better? Uh, but the idea that that presumably Luke will eventually have access to this box that's for him nah, and how that informs never. who he is as a person come Empire Strikes Back, I find fascinating. Hmm. Okay. Uh, anyway, we weren't talking about Star Wars in that regard, so uh, uh, I've been happy with John Cassidy's work so far. I'm sad to see him go. That being said, I am interested, though it's one of those things where um, obviously the the book deserves like the highest caliber artist that you can find, Mm -hmm. but at the same time for me, excuse me, um, the artist that they're like, I would love to see John Cassidy on something else, whether it be another creator owned book or a certain superhero book that I'd want to read him doing. Same goes for Stuart Amonin, who's been announced as taking over. Stuart Amonin is doing the first six issues of all new Captain America. I assume that he would probably continue on for maybe another arc afterwards, whatever form all new Captain America takes when secret wars is over. uh, He will not be a part of it. So that makes me curious. Mm -hmm. Um, But if anyone could follow up John Cassidy and keep a, a certain visual continuity while still having his own unique visual flair, it would be Stuart Amonin. Mm-hmm. No, I'm 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 pretty excited, uh, and of course, my love for Stuart Amonin comes from uh, Next Wave, uh, Agents of Hate. It's uh, 
it's it's sort of like what we were talking about with with Moon Knight. It's you know you hate to see this team go, um, but you know you really hope that the person the other people are getting on are going to be also a, a high caliber or a similar caliber of artist. And I would say they definitely accomplished that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just on Stuart Amonen's website right now, um, and he's posted some stuff he's kind of been sketching out for. Um, for Star Wars, and I guess there's this cover, like this not final cover, um, from a couple days ago, uh, that, you know, speaking of the visual similarity, it has a, a similar look to John Cassidy, but at, at the same time, it's uh, it's not uh, beholden to it. It is it it's you know different enough, distinct enough. Um, curious to see what he brings to the book. Um, I, I planned on getting back in on Star Wars at some point, so maybe uh, that would be a good jumping on point to just burn through that first arc and then mm-hmm. uh, hop on kind of month to month with uh, with Stuart Amonin, uh coming on as the as the uh, the next artist. There you so, go. Cool. Look for that uh, in some casting news because there's always casting news in this day and age. Uh, Marina uh, Bakarin has confirmed uh, in the movie Deadpool she will be playing copycat. Um, it was a character that I like. I don't know who that is at all. Mm-hmm. Well, the way that they, I guess, the way they uh, announced it was she took an Instagram photo um, of her chair, and it, you know, it says Deadpool, and it's got like the picture for, of the of the movie. We'll probably see all over the place, and then it says Vanessa, which I guess Copycat's real name is uh, Vanessa. Uh, uh, wait, Carl uh, Carlisle. Sorry, Vanessa Carlisle, um, who seems to be very akin to what's her name? Uh, uh, who? Uh, uh, Mystique. Oh. Uh, well, I think this is she copies powers, not necessarily. Oh, because she said, uh, I guess, um, later revealing her to be copycat. She disguised. She, okay, she was disguised as Domino. Okay, so she copies. The comics, yeah. I, yeah. I think that she looks somewhat similar to Domino, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, um, I mean, I like Morena Bakarin. Um, I don't, you know, obviously, I think. Yeah, these characters like Deadpool, Copycat, some of the other uh, superheroes they might use are going to be very from the '90s. So I think how that they're portrayed in the movie isn't at all going to be is is going to be very different from how they may have been portrayed back in like 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, as in, probably less pouches. Probably, um, but I guess even like Rob Liefeld. Uh... Rob Liefeld, of course, taking the chance to promote himself. Um, oh God, he uses his own name as a hashtag on Instagram. I, I just, I, I like most uh, white teen girls. I can't even. I can't even. Anyway, can't even. Uh, some breaking news, uh, real quick. Universal Options: Mark Millar and Sean Murphy's Chrononauts. So, since we were talking about it earlier, this was about an hour ago. Got announced. Um, anyway, Universal uh, Universal Pictures has optioned Chrononauts as a film. Uh, we are uh, not at big all surprised. Surprise. By that. Yeah, Millar pretty much writes stuff to be movies now. Yeah. Um, but you know, pretty cool. He's had some good movies um, come out. I mean, Kingsman, Secret Service was great. 
so you know we'll see what's disappointing about this idea and then what uh, how the movie makes it better or the, the, you know, yeah the movie is one of those things where you know the scripts are probably written obviously before any of the movie stuff gets off the ground so something where someone else can come in and, and make the tweaks that mm-hmm. you know improve the whole thing yep um so uh chris morgan who has written multiple films in the fast and the furious franchise will produce the film um with of course uh millar and uh murphy who they refer to as gordon for sean Gerd, gordon murphy but is his whole name yeah it's weird they just don't call him Mur- they, they say millar and they, they don't say millar and murphy they say millar and gordon anyway uh they're honest executive producers before people get all like up their butts uh the fast and the furious movies are not all great but several of them are pretty fun uh so you know it, i think he could bring uh or having someone involved in that franchise could could bring uh that adrenaline injection high fun into it anyway that was just some quick news that just got announced uh thought since we talked about chrononauts we should mention it yeah well uh, uh cool cool so solicits came out for june books and we've gotten a good look now at how DC, uh, you know, we've heard a lot about DC's new lineup and a, new, a lot of the new stuff they're going to do. But now we've actually gotten uh, to see a bunch of stuff, um, gotten to see some new costumes that are coming out, uh, gotten descriptions on some of the books. We find out that uh, that Renee Montoya is coming back, which Renee. That's, that's, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm just going to say she's a great character. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! My Boston accent keeps coming out yeah, all that the was, time. That was pretty great, great. Great character. Great character. That was yeah. Uh, I also really enjoyed um, the description for Bizarro on the solicits. Did you read mm-hmm. that one? Um, I mean, I read. I usually read all of them, but I don't have it memorized. Uh, it's like if you if you hate Harley Quinn, then you will hate Bizarro. And it was like it was all written in Bizarro speak. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That that was that was funny. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, one thing I think I was uh, messaging you messaging you about earlier was the Batman Beyond book coming mm-hmm. out of all this. That's yeah. also spinning out of Future's End, uh, and how it's very though not 100 percent confirmed yet, but seriously looking like the future, the five years later, Tim Drake will ultimately come the 35 year later 30, 35 years later Batman mm-hmm. uh, and whatever future he returns to however changed that it won't be Terry McGinnis under the cowl it will be a future Tim Drake dun, dun, in dun. Terry McGinnis's future it's just a mouthful you know it's not necessarily a bad concept in theory but typically when people want to seek out a Batman Beyond book they uh, not saying Terry that you know, there are there, there is a crowd that is uh, looking for more of the same, you mm-hmm. know. Obviously, as a creator, you want to do something different and not just regurgitate, you know, past works. But at the same time, like, I don't think anyone was clamoring for a uh, a future Tim Drake as future Batman. You know, you know, maybe a future Tim Drake as his own Batman, but mm-hmm. a future Tim Drake also taking over as future Batman from the very popular Terry McGinnis. Mm-hmm. Is it something that I think no one asked for or wanted? Uh, and I, and I'm not saying that it can't be good, but I'm more concerned about the 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 longevity of the book, right? And, and possibly even to some extent the I I don't want to judge the quality with you know because quality comes in the execution, but 
if it was if if it was like Warren Ellis was announced as writing this book, I'd be like, oh man, what is he gonna do with that? But the writer's Dan Jurgens, who's known for killing Superman. And I mean, I've read some of his work uh, since the New Fifty Two started. It's very, um, it's it's not. It probably works for some people, especially older, uh, old school comic fans. Uh, the sort of like heavy narration, um, kind of over explaining things, mm-hmm. uh, which were, to be honest, were elements of Future's End. Uh, certain chapters of Future's End that I didn't really care for. Um, so. I don't know why I'm really diving into that particular book. I just find that the concept to be a mouthful and I'm, I'm actually, it's, I, I don't want to be disparaging of it, but I'm really curious to see how it fares as far as like customer reaction uh, and story potential. Yeah. You know, I, I do really, really enjoy uh, Terry McGinnis. We all do. It'll be interesting to see another take. Cause I mean, we also had that really great Grant Morrison take on it that we never got. Uh, any more on in which Damien is uh, the old Batman uh, with Terry McGinnis being the Bruce Wayne or the, with Terry McGinnis being, um, you know, Batman under, under Damien. Mm-hmm. Um, so there can be some different takes on, on the character. I, you know, I'll of course reserve judgment until we know more. Hopefully it's not uh super uh, lame. But... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely, I jumped off of, Future's End. I have no idea where it's at right now. I know I I flipped through the latest issue at the comic shop and and, and cut to the end and saw, uh, well, spoilers, uh, Terry McGinnis dying. Oh, Um, sometimes. um, So, I mean, if if this new Batman Beyond book is following straight from Future's End, then, yeah, it's probably going to be Tim Drake. Yeah, because they kind of had moments... Uh, in in the uh, in Future's End, um, and there was a but, teaser that showed Batman Beyond dead and 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 uh, Tim Drake holding the Batman Beyond cowl. Hmm. So I mean I, I know that I'm gonna keep an eye out for that one. Uh, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, getting new costumes. Uh, so are Green Arrow's costume doesn't look that much different from his current new Fifty Two. No, but they got they got rid of the goggles, which is great. Uh, so, which is funny because Sorrentino didn't use them, and then I'm pretty sure the new creative team did, which drives me insane. Uh, also, Superman, Wonder Woman getting new costumes. Wonder Woman, super great. Superman's, we've kind of seen it before, so whatever. It probably it does kind of go in line with what you were saying, uh, well, what everybody is kind of saying is that um, his identity gets revealed. So it's like, why do this whole elaborate hiding anymore? Um, I don't know. We'll see. And uh, they canceled the variant for Batgirl number 41. I don't know. You know, I don't really know how much I should say on that, uh, except that it was a really stupid, terrible idea, and we should not be censoring art in any sense. I was reading um, someone's commentary on it on Tumblr, and one of the things that they had said was that um, that it's okay for art to be disturbing. They're like, if you weren't unsettled by it, then it's not doing its job. But just because you're unsettled by something doesn't mean that it's, it's no one should be allowed evil to see. And we should, we should, you know, get rid of it. And what I love is everybody's talking about, like people talking about it. And they're like, this cover has been banned. Here's a picture of it. 
it's like oh like even like the people before it officially got banned they're like what is dc thinking this is horrible people with you know this is very traumatic for people here's a picture of it it's like you are the ones who are spreading it everywhere exactly it's it's it really is something that if it had not got any um coverage it really would only have been seen by a handful of people now like we should of course uh give you know make things fair here uh rafael albuquerque was the one who requested that dc remove it um i you know in in response you know if there had been no controversy he he would not have presumably asked to have it removed and and i get Um, he was saying like oh i didn't mean to disturb people i understand but the fact that it disturbed people was such a good sign like that means that you would solicit something and why do we pretend that this that you know why are we trying to pretend like this thing that's very core to her character didn't happen? We're trying to be sheltered and coddled and so on. And I can understand and appreciate the argument that the cover is not reflective of the contents of the new creative direction of Batgirl. But again, but it's also a it, variant cover. It was a variant cover where, you know, it's going to be like one out of every, like, I don't know, 30, 50, whatever issues. Like if I walked into my shop, it probably they they may they may have ordered had enough to order like two of them, mm-hmm. and they probably would have already been sold by the time I walked. And that, yeah. you, know, that, you know, so yeah, maybe some other people you know that maybe wouldn't want to have seen it would have seen it or readers of the Batgirl book. But I just feel like, given how many people you know, however many thousand you know, okay, several thousand copies of Batgirl. I don't know what the exact number is as far as like diamond or you know from retailer orders are, but then. You know, cut that down to how many people actually purchased the book from a retailer or or digitally. It, the number is in the thousands, but I feel like the controversy is so huge that there are people participating, you know, in against the cover that aren't even reading the book. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I'm not saying that there aren't people who are reading the book that would be against having it re-represented. It's people I think are just looking at it wrong. It's not necessarily it. It is. If it had if it had been a cover on Gail Simone's Batgirl run, which was a bit darker, not quite the same sort of um, bubbly, happy, lighter fare, so to speak, um, then then maybe it wouldn't have batted as many eyelashes. Oh, but, but okay, okay, but here's like also the thing: these Joker variants are in a number of books. Joker is not currently involved in the Superman book, but there's a Joker variant over there. Joker's currently not involved in like the Justice League books, but there's Joker variants on those. As weird as it is to celebrate a sociopath, it is all done to celebrate an iconic, albeit insane, character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. I, I wish that they hadn't had had, had 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 canceled it. If anything, they should have just put it on a different book. Um, I would not have bought it. I would. I had no interest in buying it. But that doesn't mean that I would want to stop other people from buying it. And it doesn't mean that I think the other people that found it, I don't, I, I will say that there might be at least one presumably guy that like thought it was like hot as balls. Well, okay. Yeah. But that's, but, that, but that, but that, 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 that more seemed... likely it is just, there are people that the people that I don't liked think... it were people that just found it compelling, especially given mm-hmm. the historical statement. It wasn't like, it's not like they just took some random fan fiction where she was like half naked on a table, like being mm-hmm. sexually assaulted or something. Like it's evocative, it's it's terrifying, it's disturbing, but it's it's really comes off it, it, 
is historical. No, absolutely. It, it, the, the reason that it was compelling to me was the same reason it was really compelling uh, in, in Batman and Robin when Damien was in a room alone with the Joker and he pulls a crowbar out of you know his his cape and starts just whacking him in the face with it. Um, it's a, it's an iconic moment not only for Batgirl but also for the Joker. And when mm -hmm. you're and when you're when you're commissioning a variant cover, which obviously didn't go through the creative consultation of the creative team, or um, it was directly to the marketing team. But when I would think most artists, if they had to associate, oh, I'm making a variant cover for Batgirl and it has to relate to the Joker somehow. This is like the only story they're actually going to think of. Now, mm -hmm. some people argued that it, you know you could have done anything. Like the the, the Catwoman uh, Joker cover uh, variant cover is like her punching out the Joker. So it could have been she could have struggled more on the cover, or it could have been her overcoming the Joker. Like yes, it could have happened in any number of ways. Mm -hmm. But just because it, it still came out the way that it did, again. You can be upset, you can be disturbed. But you don't have to look at it. No one's forcing it into your life. Exactly. And it's not something that, like, it, it, as much as it, you can call it like a, like a, a misogynistic depiction uh, of the treatment of women, that doesn't mean that the image is glorifying it. The mm -hmm. fact that it gives you such a visceral reaction, in my mind, giving reaction was like it's awful that, that the way that it's awful in the way that she's being depicted. I would never wish that on anyone. But that—that's what—that's how the art made me feel. It wasn't that I was offended in a way that made me feel like that no one should see this. Because if anything, people should see it, and it should create that kind of disturbing reaction. Right. It's and obviously, you know, looking at it, it's not played up for jokes. It's not played up for sexuality. It is played up to be evocative and a callback to this thing that's, that was very defining to Batgirl and you know to the Joker in an extent in this book that um, you know was was essentially a one-off but has become a a pillar in the history of Batman. And and what's interesting I, at the same time, and this is more ironic, is that as much as much as the creative team is decrying the 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 the, the content of this cover. Their, their last couple issues of, of Batgirl has dealt with her being crippled um, and the Oracle identity. Things that came from the killing joke. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just kind of funny that something that actually is not necessarily celebrating the killing joke, but recognizing its historical significance is being derided by the same creative team that is actually utilizing its elements for their current storyline. Mm -hmm. But it's just it's just fine. Apparently, Alan Moore hates the Killing Joke, the writer of the Killing Joke. I don't know about Brian well, Boland. Well, I don't okay. know if he... Alan Moore is insane. He but, hates but, everything. But Alan he, Moore also done. recently came out with all of this talk and said um, that uh, the Joker did not do anything sexual to Barbara Gordon. Which I think is a fair, you know, the fact that, okay, he took her clothes off and he took pictures of her no, I'm, I'm would not... still be traumatizing enough. No, no, ab to... absolutely. And, and, that's, and that's, that's a bigger thing that I don't want us to have to get into because there is a lot of like really murky stuff with all that. And yes, the book is in incredibly messed up. It's incredibly dark. Nobody's arguing that it's not. That's why the image is so powerful. Can you imagine if there was a Twitter around when The Killing Joke came out? Hmm. I want you know. I want you know. It's it's so many things are looked back upon, and uh, and I, I feel like the word the word fondly but, is but, not necessarily the right word, but memorably. But the Killing Joke would have come out, and then all this like insanity would have happened. Yeah, um, it's just something where how do I put this? 
it's it's an interesting intellectual psychological uh societal you know like psychosocial debate mm-hmm. you know why you know it caused you know such it's like it became like the token element um the rallying call for a worthwhile conversation a worth a worthwhile movement but when you really put a lot of the pieces in the context it didn't doesn't necessarily have to be it didn't necessarily have to be that token element. And in this case, I'm talking about like the fair treatment of woman, the fair representation of woman. But at the end of the day, whether you're male, female, straight, gay, white, black, whatever, you, if you're, if you're, if you're asking for equality, I think in the real world, like, like absolutely, you know, like, you know, whatever, fair wages, you know, good jobs, you know, respect from your, from your peers, Absolutely, everything that that entails. But when it comes to fiction, especially fiction that is centered on violence, uh, on vigilantism, on uh, adventures, action, all of that, you can't say that you want more representation of, like, say, female or gay or black or Asian or whatever characters, and then try and coddle and protect those same characters from any kind of trauma. Because ultimately, we pick up these issues and we see... The Star Wars characters get traumatized at every other page. We see Spider-Man get traumatized every other page. We see all you know, Moon Knight, all these characters, you know, where trauma and conflict and struggle and strife are just part and parcel of the kind of adventures we're seeking out as consumers and readers. But if you're saying like, I want more of these characters, more of these types of people being represented, but then they can't go through any kind of trauma, then 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 I don't know what you're asking for. Yeah. This uh, this this is this is obviously a very large issue, one that we're not going to uh, fully be able to tackle. I have read a lot on both sides of of the fence, um, and you know, there's there's no there's no definitive conclusion. I think I, I think I, I think I, I, I think I think ultimately ultimately my personal opinion people are free to disagree with me on this i think it is wrong for us to uh to ban and and censor this cover obviously we're not censoring it the image is everywhere but to say that like nope you know it's funny because putting it up on a comic shelf that's limiting its exposure putting it up on every website on the internet that's increasing it and spreading it out exactly everybody the complete opposite of what their goal was to try and stop it yeah made you know actually only it 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 yeah the, you, you said it it said it fine and it's just funny because it is again it's a disturbing image i don't see i don't know if the people that are, were being such twitter activists about this um were you know are always trying to take down every single horror movie that comes out that features woman in peril mm-hmm. or or uh i don't know pornography, violent pornography, or just any anything that, that remotely remotely deals with the the traumatizing or victimization of a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I must say that obviously there are there is uh, movements and, and fights out there about that. I think in the right context when it's done for glorification. And this uh, and this was not done for glorification. Like nothing on this book was glorifying yeah. anything. And I think that's something that the people that I think I think it's powerful that people got got upset i think there's something to be said something to respect about the opposing party and i can totally appreciate a lot of their viewpoints Mm -hmm. but it is one of those things where you kind of have to pick your battles where 
you know, it's okay to not like something, to not have something be representative of, of like the grand ideals of, you know, the universe, um, but still allow it to exist. Mm-hmm. If anything is a reminder that the last thing we would ever, you know, at the end of the day, the last thing we want to do is to put Barbara through a similar situation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as far as storytelling goes, you can't be dangerous with your storytelling. If this is what's going to happen where, you know, now are we only going to be able to maim and victimize our male characters? Sure. Um, or, you know, or, or it's like, are, are we going to every, you know, every piece of uncomfortable history, um, are we just going to completely say that like none of that stuff ever happened? Or, you know, is it, would it just be better if, Oh, everybody like lived in sunshine and rainbows all the time. Like all the, you know, all the villains that are around that do bad stuff at the end of the week, it doesn't really matter. Everything's fine. Everyone's great. Exactly. Uh, that, you know, Sue Dibney did not get raped. You know, are we just going to say that identity crisis didn't happen? I mean, come yeah. on. And that, that's the thing, when, when especially, and I realize that, at the end of the day, we're, we're two white males, you know, having this discussion. Um, but it, things like, say, sexual assault or rape or or just woman being um, violently assaulted in well, general, especially well, well, by let's, men. Let's, let's, let's not even let's, no, let's 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 not even say. I mean, okay, finish your thought, and then I'll. Uh, my 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 point that I'm now completely blanking on. Um, but you, like you were saying, like sexual assault and like rape against women. Like it's it's something that you know I, I'll see a lot of arguments where it's like, oh, when I read my comic books, I want to escape. Like I don't want to deal with the real world. And then I'll see other things. Like I was reading a, a Jeff Lemire article about his his new Bloodshot book, where instead of just making it a book that's about a gun taunt, gun taunting maniac or shooting stuff up into high heaven, that like it's actually in some ways being a commentary on violence, the depiction of violence and the use of weapons in the real world. Sometimes like I like entering my fantasy worlds and having them kind of tip their toes into politics, into social events mm-hmm. and things like that. And seeing how seeing it through a different lens can illuminate things about it. Mm-hmm. So in this regard, like the sad fact is, and I wish it wasn't the case, but things like rape or sexual assault or, or misogyny, violence women exists. Um, and, and, if you're going to comment on it, you kind of have to depict it, mm-hmm. you know. And as and like I said, we don't, we personally do not find this image glorifying at all. This image does not make me feel like there's any love that I should achieve any level of enjoyment out of looking at. Like I even said, I don't have any interest in buying it or even seeing it again. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've seen it more than I ever intended to. No, it, it, it's yeah, it's funny because I I'm just going onto different websites. I'm just like I'm gonna I'm gonna read different commentaries about like what people are saying just to get a full feel of this picture um and every single website it is with you know after the first paragraph it's here it is and it's you know i i understand it's like oh we you know we want to know people what we're talking about but it's like you could also provide a link and say the image is here if you want to go look at it um ultimately ultimately what we're saying is that um people are people are crazy um ultimately Yes, terrible things happen in the real world. Terrible things also then get depicted in our art because art imitates life. Uh, And these things unfortunately do happen uh, regardless of gender, race, any of that. And they're going to creep up into our stories because that's the nature of it. It is incorrect 
for us to uh, to to shy away from that stuff, to and, suppress it, to try and censor it. I mm-hmm, agree. And it is it is better instead for us to say this is the darkness that exists, and here's how we're going to stand against it. And I believe that uh, that characters like Batgirl do. And I get that in that cover that maybe that was not depicted, but then again, we're, we're, we're depicting a moment in that character history that was very dark for her. When you open those pages, it's going to be her fighting against the dark. She's going to be the light. Um, we shouldn't be censoring art and we shouldn't be, uh, shying away from stuff that makes us uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, I think it's good. It's, it's okay to say that this makes you uncomfortable, that it even upsets you. Yeah. Eight, eight year old kids aren't wandering into comic shops and seeing horrible images on, on bookshelves. Uh, they, they can easily see this horrible, I'm using air quotes when I say horrible image online, uh, with a couple clicks of a button. Yeah. It's so, yeah, this discussion could go on and on and on, it and, could. on. and I'd even love to keep the conversation going, but obviously time is always a yeah, factor. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're definitely um, episodes yeah, going a little long. So, I think that's enough to say for now. Um, just yeah, yeah, like what you like, and try not to step on anyone's toes. This is this is true. Uh, let's just let's just go through our recommendations quick. You kind of mentioned yours before, but go ahead and give us a. Uh, uh, to to reiterate, yeah. uh, I just want I want to recommend uh, Invisible Republic again. Uh, as far as first issues go, I felt engaged. Uh, I felt that there's a compelling story to to be told, um, and it's evident from these first you know twenty or so pages. Uh, it's got great art. Uh, <laughs> I guess if you enjoyed the um, storytelling of Interstellar or Inception or The Dark Knight Rises or even X Men Two. You can partly contribute that to Gabriel Hardman. Um, the dialogue reads well. Uh, it's just an overall, uh, I think, uh, sharp read, and I am definitely interested in seeing where it goes from here. Very cool. Uh, my recommendation is one that I haven't fully finished yet, but I think I've read enough of it in order to uh, recommend it. Earlier this week, I got uh, for free on Comixology, actually, uh, was Afterlife with Archie. Uh, volume one, I guess volume two is still slowly coming out. Um, but for those who have not read it, or I think we've talked a little bit on the show, it is a uh, book by Roberto Aquir Sarkis, uh, Sarcasa, uh, with art by, uh, is it Francesco or Francisco? How are we going with that? No, I guess it's an E, so Francesco. Uh, Francisco Francavilla. Is it Francisco Francavilla? Thanks, Francisco. Okay. Uh, Francisco Francavilla, whatever. I'm used to mispronouncing things wrong. Anyway, it is a book about uh, a zombie outbreak in the world of Archie. And it is pretty dang great. Uh, It's, of course, met with critical acclaim. Um, I'm really enjoying it. The art art really sets the mood, um, but the writing, and I think this is one of the things that makes it so great, is that they take the Archie universe very seriously, and they're telling a realistic uh, zombie story in the Archie universe. Um, so if you haven't checked it out yet, if you were like me and you just, for some reason was not on your radar fully, then go ahead and check it out. Uh, also, um, I'm kind of doing this on the fly here, but I want us to, uh, I want to do our first giveaway actually with afterlife with Archie. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, 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 
think uh, we'd be willing to give away the uh, the first volume. Uh, so if you live within the in the United States, uh, we would send you uh, the first volume in paperback. If you live outside the United States, be willing to uh, purchase the digital copy for you. Uh, just them's the breaks. Um, so in order to do that, I'm going to uh, throw out a sort of a question. You can uh, you know you can probably look up the answer. Totally fine. We live in the digital age. I'm not going to pretend we don't. But the first person uh, who either emails us or uh or tweets at us uh or you know comments online somewhere on like our website or on facebook um with the correct answer will uh be the winner and then we'll you know get get in contact for uh for shipping information and all that but anyway uh we talked earlier about uh rafael albuquerque who did the variant cover for joker 41 uh, Raphael Albuquerque's first work for DC appeared in what book? So that's your question. Raphael Albuquerque's first work for DC appeared in what book? Uh, you can, of course, email us your answer or any of your thoughts in general to heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can head over to our website, heckyeahcomics.com, to find out more stuff and, uh, and you know leave your comment there if you want. Or, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics, all one word. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at davluz, that's D-A-V-L-U-Z. Uh, you can find Nick... Uh, attempting to break bad on his own in uh, Boston by opening a baked bean uh, black market outside of a Dunkin' Donuts. Huh? What? Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> think about it. It works. Anyway, uh, if you enjoyed the show, then of course, please tell your friends. If you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>